at Daw Pound, because he changed it. I always forget now. I got to shift <laughs> it up. And at Auburn Banker for Lindsey Crosby. Lindsey, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing today, my man? I am very excited. Very happy to be here. Uh, let's have a good two hours, guys. Yeah, we got some. We had, we had to get some baseball. Since Noah's not here today, he's over there. He's going to be doing the color commentary for the Auburn High baseball game as they take on Hoover today at 4 o'clock. You can check that out on 96.3 WLE with him and Scott Bagwell. So we had to bring somebody in who could talk baseball with us. because Some expertise. We all know that me and Lance, Lance and I, we will, we will drop the ball on baseball sometimes. We, we, know it, we know our baseball. We love it. We get into it. But we both know that typically Noah knows more about baseball. So that's why we got Lindsey in here today to help talk about baseball with us. And with that, we will go ahead and get, swing, we'll go get, ahead and get swinging into the baseball scene because we got a lot to talk about. I mean, we were having a heated conversation that I wanted to kind of carry on into the first subject. It's a little out there, but Tony La Russa getting mad at his guy for crushing a 3-0 pitch in a blowout game. Lindsey, Lindsay, you, you had some words to say about that when we were talking off air. Yeah, you know, I talked about that this morning on... Oh, I like it this morning. So the issue here is it's a 16-4. It's a blowout, right? Ninth inning. Right. Yemen Mercedes is up to bat. And if you don't know who he is, 28-year-old rookie, fantastic story. Finally made the big leagues, is carrying the White Sox right now. And he has a position player, Willens Astadio, throwing to him. Throws a 53-mile-an-hour EFIS pitch <laughs> on a 3-0 count. What does Mercedes do? He crushes it. I mean, what else do you expect a young rookie slugger who is having the season of his lifetime and finally achieved his dream? What else do you think he's going to do? He crushes it. After the game, Tony La Russa says like it, it wasn't respecting the opponent, that he has to answer to the family and the discipline will be handled internally. What no. does that mean? <laughs> he has to answer to the family. That the sounds family. like a threat. It, I mean, it, it sounds like, like he's a mob boss, one. Literally. But I mean... I don't understand why he's being penalized for doing his job. He's a DH. And if you tell him, hey, don't swing at that pitch, then what you're doing is when he gets to arbitration, when he finally gets a chance to start getting paid somewhat closer to a market rate contract, he doesn't have that statistic, doesn't have that production to go in and say, this is the money that I deserve. Do you think they're going to cut him a break when they give a counter proposal for a salary in arbitration and say, okay, well, normally we would have said three and a half million, but we'll say three and a 3.7 because he would have gotten a home run there if we had let him swing. No, they're going to save every penny they can. And so he has, a, he, he needs to go out there and swing at that pitch. And then for Tony La Russa to come in after the fact and blame him and say he made a mistake, not the twins for putting a backup catcher out there, not the the backup catcher for throwing a 53-mile-an-hour pitch. He's pitched in the 80s before. He's pitched. He's he's hit 86 on the gun. He chose to throw 53. He had it coming. I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I think it was uh, Cam Newton who said, if you don't like me dancing in the end zone, stop me. Mm-hmm. If you don't want me to hit a home run, don't throw an EFIS pitch right down the middle and just let me yoink one out to the outfield. I mean, it, dude, home runs, like, one, you're in the major leagues. That's That's an incredible feat in itself. You have a chance to hit a home run in the majors. You're gonna take that every time, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just don't. Like, I'm I'm one of those guys who I'm I'm very anti the unwritten rules of baseball because it just kind of seems that all the unwritten rules of baseball are we don't want to have fun. It just feels like all of them are like, look, we got to make this as serious, and then we're gonna question later on why a lot of the young people don't want to watch our games. Like, yeah, because you get mad when someone 
does the one thing that they want to see. Everybody wants to see a home run. That's what you want to see. Yeah. At least for the the younger generation, they want to see a home run. They want to see a power hit. So then you're just gonna be like, oh well, don't do that. It's like, okay, I I don't I don't understand. Like, dude, you give me a chance to hit it, I'm hitting it. I'm flipping the bat into the stands. I'm skipping around. I am taking my sweet time because that's probably never happening again for me. I mean, like, let's be honest, it might not ever happen. Take advantage. Enjoy what you get. If I come up to bat and you throw me something low and outside at 47 miles an hour or whatever it was, throw something so high and up and to the right that nobody could go get it, and then throw another pitch in the dirt on the left side. If you give me an opportunity on a 3-0 count to swing at something, I'm going to swing at it. I feel disrespected because you're pitching to me that way. If you're going to give me something to swing at, I'm going to hit it. And like you mentioned earlier, it's going to improve his ability to get a better contract in the future. It's all about money. It's 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 not forget the forget the unwritten rules just just go with what with what you 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 know is true which is i'm getting pitched at my goal is to swing a bat i'm going to hit it hit a home run i think part of the the um the the backlash to this is who the message is coming from so tony larusa you know out of the game for a while retired came back and he he expounded on it yesterday he said Big mistake. The fact that he's a rookie and excited helps explain why he was just clueless about that situation. And it's like, wait a second. You got an actual rule of baseball wrong two weeks ago. Like one that's actually like in yes. the in the record, yes. like in the books. He got that wrong. So this is the second season that we have the extra run, like the runner on second base to start the 10th inning. And there's a special provision if the last out was your pitcher, then you can have the guy who's before the pitcher spot run. Tony La Russa had his pitcher at second base in the 10th inning. And they asked him afterwards, what were you doing? He's like, oh, I didn't know I could pull him out for somebody else. I guess I should check on that rule. So Tony La Russa doesn't know the actual rules of baseball, but he expects he expects Mercedes to know the unwritten rule that you're, apparently you're not allowed to do your job if you're winning by a lot. There's no other sport where that's the rule. It's like, hey, on third, like on this first down, they're going to throw a slant pass to you, but you have to drop it because you're winning by thirty. Yeah, that's, that, I, I, that's why I don't understand that. Like, you're you're always going to do what you can to succeed. Like, you're going to put yourself in the best situation to win the game, or you know, not even win. Just like you're not going to you're not going to make yourself like you're not going to make yourself look worse. Like, there's there's a rare occasion where you're going to actively try to just not like to to not gain yards in football to not score a basket in basketball like I get it like you're I, I understand you know you're gonna try to respect the other team but look the guy like you said he's clocked 86 before and he was getting shelled it's funny that this is the guy that came up because I ended up watching a YouTube video about him the other day where I watched him like he was throwing 86 and 85 and he was getting yoinked so he's decided like whatever and he started throwing the 50 something mile per hour EFAS pitches and he was actually getting guys out with him. Yeah. Because you like nobody's expect nobody's expecting to see, you know, Buddy come trotting up there and just throw a fifty mile an hour just cake shot right down the middle. And you're just like, you're like you, you don't know what to do. Like you just sit there and you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, so I mean he could go up there and throw eighty like he's you are right. He has clocked into the eighties before. But he was getting hit very hard, so now he just lollipops him up there. He's he knows the risk he's taking. You know the risk you're taking when you throw one fifty miles an hour Ephus pitches right down the middle. Don't think for a second that he didn't know what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. Yeah. You know, and and honestly, if you're going to to send a position player out there in the ninth, 
then you're already saying, hey, anything can happen. We've this game up. is over. We've given up. This game is over. There has been 10-run comebacks in MLB before. I don't think any of them have ever happened in a game where the position player was on the mound for part of the game, and the team ended up winning that game. It's never happened. Right. So if it's a ninth inning and you're sitting out a position player, by definition, you have given up on this game. So that means to yourself, you don't care what happens. Right. If we're talking about unwritten rules, I'm that's not another one. Yeah, I'm not trying to win this game. I've sent out a backup catcher to go throw. So then why do you care when he actually does a baseball act? And then the next day, what happens? Slider behind Astadio. He takes a slider behind him. And Tony LaRusso is like, yeah, I'm fine with how they handled that. No, stand up for your man. Stand up for your man. Just like Dolly Parton said. That's, stand up for your man. That's the one thing that gets me. Is like, you just actively said... That you're upset that he hit a home run on a 3-0 pitch. But yeah, man can throw you know, a 70, 80 mile per hour pitch behind him, which could actually you know, cause physical harm to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't know if you're, I don't know if people are aware of this, but major league pitchers, typically you know, the starting ones and the guys who are you know, an actual pitcher, they throw the ball pretty hard. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, not, it's, it's going to hurt when it hits you. And could actually phys- like, it could actually physically change this guy's career. As a, you know, three and zero fastball when you're up by ten runs, whatever, that's not hurting anybody. Oh, like it hurts your pride. Okay, well, don't try to out a position player to pitch then. If your pride's, if you're, if you're that, if you care that much about your pride, just keep ro- keep throwing pitchers out there. Then. Final thought I have on this too is Larusa said in an extended interview later that if it was a three one count, I saw that he'd have been fine with the swing. And I'm like, wait a second, really? What's the <laughs> difference in three zero and three one? That one strike matters, man. That I mean, one strike. strike. Really, what is the really difference in a three zero swing and a three one swing, other than the fact that there's one like nothing? If it was okay at three one, it's okay at three zero, and you don't think it's okay because you're an angry old man. <laughs> I mean that's true. <laughs> I mean that's you're all an angry it is. old man yelling out a cloud. Listen, he, let the kids play. We did a giant, we did a giant like promo campaign for it last year. Let them flip the bats. Let them let them pimp it. Let them do whatever they want because people want to watch it. You brought this up, Levi. People want to see that. That's what's entertaining. You know, what's not entertaining is watching Tony La Russa throw his dude under the bus for committing a baseball act. And yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like, that's that's what they want to see. But we also want to hear from you guys 334 321 1390. Do you have an opinion on the unwritten rules of baseball? We'd love to get your get your input. Maybe you're an old fuddy duddy and you want to call us and tell us how we are tarnishing the game with these opinions. Or maybe you agree with us and you have something to say about it. Again, 334-321-1390. Going to shift the conversation, still in baseball, but to Auburn for just the end of this segment. Got a big one this weekend as Auburn is trying to claw and scratch their way into Hoover. What what has to happen? Like What, what do the Tigers have to do to make that possible out of this weekend? So the bullpen and the pitching has to show up. And we've seen this all season where... Auburn can get a good start out of a pitcher or they can get somebody good to come in in relief but they can't string it together. So Auburn has to, and potentially with a weakened bullpen, Auburn has to come in and they don't have to shut down Mizzou. They just have to keep the keep the game close enough where the offense can score the runs we know they're going to score. Right. Our short king, Ryan Bliss, we know he's going to go off. Tyler Miller, we know he's going to do it. Super senior Rankin Woley, we know he's going to rake. Steven Williams, whether he's catching or in right field, and hopefully he's in right field, we know he's going to hit. That top of the order is going to produce runs. We just need the the, bat, uh, the the pitching staff to keep us in the game, keep it close, 
and not allow those one and two run innings to become four and five run innings. And something I want to, I just want to like put this in perspective for everybody real quick listening out there. Auburn is currently tied for last in the West with Texas A&M at eight and 19 in conference play. If Auburn has a better record than A&M does this weekend, they're in the SEC tournament. That's just the way it is. Auburn playing Missouri, you know, they get they get that three-game uh, series, and A&M will be playing a three-game series against LSU this weekend. LSU sitting at 32 and 20, 11 and 16 in the SEC. Also, don't forget, LSU has won their last two SEC series, and A&M obviously coming off that series loss to Auburn. So the question I want to pose to you guys is which team is more likely to come out of the weekend with the best record? A&M or Auburn because that will decide essentially who gets into the tournament see that I mean that's that's the tough part of this it's which one is going to come out better I, I it's a toss up. I'm trying to figure out if my bias is showing that I think it's going to be Auburn but I have a hard time thinking that the way they played this past weekend and like I, I just feel like Auburn is the more talented team mm-hmm. they haven't showed it throughout the year like I mean it's been a very underwhelming year with what you have on the roster talent wise and I think you're starting to see them finally just take a little bit they're, they're still not where I think they should be in terms of play on the field and then you look at what they have on paper as the roster but I think they they're going to go out there and take care of business and I think they will end up with the better record at the end of this at the end of this weekend yeah you know and looking at what the teams have done so far this season the Texas A&M offense has really been a big problem for them they really haven't scored a lot of runs. And if we remember that Auburn-LSU series, LSU has some pitchers Mm -hmm. who are really good. They can go deep into games. They can get a lot of swings and misses. Um, And Texas A&M really hasn't had a lot of success with with home runs and with scoring. Um, I believe they have, have, I want to say, three guys who have more than five home runs on the team right now. Mm. You know, whereas Auburn's one of the top home run teams in the country. And so I see... Texas A&M's offense struggling more against LSU than Auburn's pitching staff struggling against Missouri. So I'm going to say it, that it's Auburn, and I think part of it is not only just because of those two matchups, those are the two big matchups of the weekend, but also the fact that Auburn's playing for pride because the last time there was a College World Series in Omaha, Auburn went. They're not going to go to the College World Series this year, but they want to at least say we can make it to the postseason even though we're not a College World Series team, we can make it to the postseason. We're better than our record, and we're going to prove that this weekend against the worst team in the SEC East, right. Missouri. Right. I think I, th- I think you nail on the head. I think you hit the nail on the head. And something else to mention about Auburn, like, don't you find it interesting that Auburn is either like leading or at the top of some like major statistical categories in the country, even though they have one of the worst records right now, in, well, in, the, in one of the better conferences, but one of the worst be- records in, in baseball as far as conference play goes. Like Tyler Miller's up there as far as RBIs are concerned. I think Auburn's, if they're not at the top, they're still within the top five as far as double plays go. Um, and, and this team continues to always get so close. They always continue to get so close in these games. And I think this weekend they're going to finally get over the hump. What Auburn's been missing this season, the reason that they've gotten so close and they haven't quite done it, is because they haven't been able to minimize the damage. Right. So when they get into an inning and the inning gets messy, there's two men on, three men on. What we've seen from Butch Thompson teams in the past is we'll bring somebody in from the bullpen who can go in there and he's he's going to come in with two men on and no outs. He's going to give up one run, or he's going to you know, or he's going to come in with the bases loaded and no outs and give up maybe two. And what we've seen too much of this season is we're giving up five or six, and so. We've gotten a little, a little uh, more secure in the back end of the bullpen, and 
we have not seen those big explosions in the bullpen the last few weeks. And I think this weekend we're just going right. to see them smoothly take it all the way through. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue when you play those close games. It comes down to a bullpen because you can't bring out a guy to get you out of a situation and, you know, close out a game because they've been unreliable. We are about to go to a break over here. On the other side of the break, we are going to talk some Auburn football, everybody's favorite subject. Stay on the line. We'll be right back. Back on the line with Levi Fitzwater, Lance Daw, and Lindsey Crosby right here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got some Auburn football news. Yesterday, ESPN put out some really cool graphics on their socials talking about some primetime slots that they have for their opening weekend games, but they also managed to include Auburn versus Penn State in week three. Auburn has received a primetime TV slot. It's going to be Lions, Tigers, and big-time ESPN under the lights. College football, Auburn's first-ever road test, will be under the lights. And Auburn's first-ever trip to Happy Valley, Auburn will take on Penn State on Saturday, September 18th at 6.30. The game will be broadcast on ABC. Auburn, in their history, is 1-1 one one against Penn State all-time. And the question I wanted to pose to you guys is Auburn will obviously have two games before this. They'll have two games. I believe it's going to be against Akron and Alabama State. Will they be ready by the time this matchup comes? And if they're not, what are they going to have to do to get prepared? I I believe that they will be ready by then because I think one of the big problems that they have to get over this Auburn team is really just becoming comfortable with a lot of the new schemes and stuff that are being implemented, you'll have two games against inferior competition that you should be able to handle well, even if you're still working out kinks. That's why you that's why you schedule these games. That's why you have Akron. That's why you have Alabama State on the schedule before you play a Penn State. That, and they, this team is too talented, and I believe in the coaching staff, and I think they will have this team ready to go up there and play. Now, does that mean that Auburn's going to go up there and win? We have no idea. We don't know what they're going to do. That it, Look, Happy Valley, absolutely tough place to play. I mean, you saw what like the Ohio State game a few years ago where a block punt, or I'm sorry, a block field goal turns into a touchdown and that stadium erupts and then it just completely didn't even shift that just that game. It shifted the season. Penn State ends up playing in a Rose Bowl because of that. You can see that in in tough environments like that, the crowd can take over and make up for a talent gap if you believe that Auburn is a more talented team than Penn State going in. I do think they'll be ready. I think they'll have the offense flowing a bit better and I think they should be ready to go in there and play Penn State so the the issue with this Penn State game is Penn State is bringing back a lot of their offense especially at running back and wide receiver and on defense their linebacker and secondary positions are loaded their defensive line needs to restock and so when we go into this season obviously Auburn has a junior quarterback but almost a whole new receiving core a um, you know whole new coaching staff I see us starting off the season with the defense being the strength of the team while the offense has time to get the chemistry, learn the new scheme, and catch up. And so we have two games that are really just kind of tune-up games. We can kind of see, you know, this is what we are good at, what we're not good at, get everybody lined up correctly, get a hat on a hat, figure out assignment football. But Penn State starts off at Wisconsin and then home for Ball State before they play Auburn. So I think if we're looking at the key matchup is Auburn's defense versus Penn State's offense – Penn State's going to have to open that playbook early and start running their regular offense, and they're going to have some tough tests up front. So we'll have a better idea of what they can do versus them not really having a full picture of what we can do, and that might be because we don't know yet. But I think being able to get that film, get two weeks of 
actual Power 5 film on them mm-hmm. will be beneficial to us. And ultimately, I see that as if Auburn wins that game, it's going to be on the strength of the defense, and it's going to be because the defense was able to prepare because they had that film for Wisconsin and Ball State. Yeah, I think definitely Auburn's defense is going to have to carry them for the, for the first month of the season, I feel like, to, to let Bo Nix get comfortable in this new offense. I hear he might potentially be a dark horse for the Heisman. I'm not, I'm not sure. Rumors have been kind of swirling around about that, but, you know, we'll just have to keep an eye on that. But as far as the offense goes, you're exactly right. They're going to need time to tune up. Uh, as you mentioned, for Penn State, offensively, 74% of their returning production on offense is coming back. That's 58th nationally for Auburn. Uh, they have 73% of their offense coming back, but what are they missing? They're missing receiver production. And Auburn's not going to be able to ground and pound because we saw last season, even though they do bring all five of their offensive line starters back, they weren't efficient in run blocking. They just weren't. They, they weren't the year before, and I know that Auburn fans have their opinions on that. I was like, well, Auburn's been able to do one thing really good on the offensive line, but they've not been able to do the other. I think they've just not been able to perform consistently well in either pass or run blocking. That's just my personal opinion. They can't, they can't ground games like this out with Tank Biggs because, because that will lead to an ability to potentially get hurt. If you just lean on him heavily at the beginning of the season, I think you can lean on him just to what extent, especially not in that environment against a Power 5 school like Penn State. So I think it's going to have to be Auburn figuring out against Akron and Alabama State, okay, what do we want our offense to look like? Let's not give up too much. Let's not get too deep into the playbook. And let's figure out, are we going to lean more on the run game? Are we going to look more to guys like Elijah Canyon to see if we can get him to stretch the field? Where does Kobe Hudson fit in? What is his role as a receiver? You know, it's just a lot of different things offensively to figure out. And then I think the one question that we have to ask is, is, is Bo, Bo Nix finally ready to take the next step? And I think that there is, there is a guy that could potentially come in that could push him to greater heights. So there's a lot going on in the transfer portal right now, but there's a guy, there's a quarterback from LSU that kind of has his eyes on potentially landing at Auburn. Had an interview with AL.com recently. Guy's name is TJ Finley, six foot six quarterback out of Louisiana State. Big boy. Said that if he had to take on Bo Nix, he would be confident that he could beat him out for the starting job. So my question is to you is if TJ Finley ends up committing to Auburn, does that impact the quarterback room negatively or positively? And could he legitimately beat Bo Nix out? I, I don't see me and a friend were actually discussing this the other night. And he's somebody who's not, you know, super big into sports, not or like he's not going to he's not hardcore following it like we are. And I was going through my TJ Finley take with him. And he said, I just don't understand why it's a negative to bring in a guy that has that much upside that TJ Finley has. I mean, the athletic ability that he possesses is there. Dude has an absolute cannon for an arm. He does have flaws. He holds onto the ball a little too long, and I think he ha- he struggles a lot with accuracy issues, more or less overthrowing guys, and I think that comes from his mechanics. I think he has a little bit of footwork he could work on in the pocket, and relying on, relying on being able to control the cannon, that's another thing. But yeah, I think like his two biggest problems are easily fixable where the mechanics of just, you know, working on his footwork, uh, quickening up, his, you know, make his release a little bit quicker. I think that could help cut down some of the accuracy problems. Holding on the football too long, that's a hard one to shake. I mean, you see guys like Tua Tungvaloa do it. Ben Roethlisberger is another case of that. Because they have such raw athletic ability, they can lean on that and they tend to think they can always make the play. But yeah, I see no downside. I mean, I see no downside. I mean, Lindsey's got some good comps that we actually were talking about off the air that he's going to go through that 
you could like you don't really lose with bringing a guy in like this, in my opinion, because he has such upside. Even if he doesn't play, you have a pretty good backup regardless. Yeah, you know, and watching some film of TJ Finley from LSU, you know, he he came in as a three-star pro style quarterback, and he very much has a lot of that Felipe Franks or that that Byron Leftwich, that big wind up before he throws. So working on his quickness, and that's obviously very much mechanical. You were right, his his footwork, he needs to tighten that up, be more consistent. He has some promise as far as throwing on the move. Not quite like like Bo does. He's not bailing out of the pocket right away. He will stand in there and deliver under duress. Uh, to me, TJ Finley, the most likely scenario, if he commits to Auburn, we have to remember he's not going to commit until at least June 3rd. Right. Because that's when the SEC Board of Governors meets to vote on waiving the in-conference transfer exemption. Right. So even though the NCAA is giving everybody a free transfer, the, the SEC still has the rule if you transfer in conference, you must sit out a year. So best case scenario is if he commits, he's not getting on campus until sometime in June. Spring can, spring practice, especially for a brand new scheme, is more important than a lot of people think and realize. And so what I see happening is best case scenario, TJ Finley comes in in the fall, submits himself as the backup, if Bo Nix were for some reason to get hurt, knock on wood, or in effectiveness, TJ Finley's picked up enough of the scheme to come in, step in, and lead the Auburn offense. Uh, worst case scenario, he gets on, on campus, can't really get a grasp under the playbook in time. He ends up being the third stringer behind Grant Loy, your boy Grant Loy. If something happens, <laughs> he's in there to, to finish out a game for Auburn. And then going into next year, Bo Nix may or may not be gone, depending on his production, depending on his fit with the staff, but we have plenty of pieces in that room to compete for the starting job in 2022. Um, I think, you know, baseline, Felipe Franks, you mentioned it earlier, uh, your best case scenario is something like a Ben Roethlisberger, you know, who had a, who had a good college career and had a fantastic NFL career. It's probably going to make the hall of fame just simply on being a big body that can throw the ball with zip, can drive the ball vertically with power. That's right, and I think T.J. Finley for this quarterback room, if he doesn't start, it's at least going to push Bo Nix to become better, and I think that's what Auburn's looking for. If Auburn told this guy that he has a chance and he thinks he could beat Bo Nix out, I think he definitely does have a chance to make Bo Nix better. More of On the Line when we come back. We'll talk some more Auburn football. Got some transfer news for you. Stick with us. You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater, Lance Daw, and Lindsey Crosby. ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3. We want to hear from you. We want to hear it. 334-321-1390. You know how I roll. I'm going to give it to you again. 334-321-1390. I don't understand why you don't have that number saved in your contacts as your speed dials, your emergency contact when you go to the hospital. You know you want to call and be on the line, even if you're struggling with any kind of injuries so putting a bow on our conversation about tj finley we'll just pose the question here do you guys think that it helps like what is your what is your opinion on the guy how do you feel about him coming into auburn and what do you think it does if it gets to that point well again i think if he is confident enough in an interview with al.com to say hey if i do end up committing to auburn I think I can beat this Bonix kid out. I think that means the coaching staff has kind of either hinted or directly told him, listen, we're going to bring you in, we're going to get you in this new system, going to get you comfortable, and you're going to compete at the least for this starting job. And I don't think that means he could legitimately beat Bonix out. I think 
that this is going to try and push Bo Nix to be a better quarterback because if you bring in another SEC caliber guy to, and, and put them in that position, like Harson said, he's going to try and put Nix in a pressure cooker, try and get him to to perform the best that he possibly can. I think bringing in a guy like Finley is an excellent way to do it, make some competition. But Nix has not had to face it since in his freshman season. Even then, some Auburn faithful have opinions on that and whether or not that was actually a legitimate competition. Won't get into speculation. It's just the way it went. But I think this could be a very good thing if we bring in Finley because at best we're we're making we're making Bo Nix better as a quarterback. And at worst, if Finley ends up does winning winning the starting job, then we have a coaching staff that has enough faith in a guy to say, Hey, you can be better than Bo Nix and I think a lot of Auburn fans would be excited about that. So worst case scenario, TJ Finley wins the job, Bo Nix Whatever happens to Bo Nix happens. Right. Are we worried that Demetrius Davis may also leave Auburn if TJ Finley wins it? Or do we look at, fin- oh, well, Finley still has four years of eligibility, so if right. he wins the job, we're not as upset that we lost Thick Marshall and Demetrius Davis. <laughs> um, you know, Because he's he's very much a Derrick King type of player where I just don't know where yes. how he's going to pan out. And I think after A-Day, the reviews on Demetrius Davis were he has potential, but he's just mentally not ready for the SEC yet. And so is this something where if we – if it happens, it works out either way. Even if we do end up losing Demetrius Davis, it may be worth it. And I think that's the big question. We just don't know. And we, and we won't know until June 3rd because he's not making that decision right. by then. Um, but I do have some breaking news here. We do have a decision Ooh-hoo. that was made early as far as recruiting. Yeah, so we, uh, we, were just, uh, we were just hanging out over the break, casually uh, went over to Twitter, just looking, and uh, Donovan Kaufman, former three-star cornerback at Vanderbilt has committed to the Tigers. We were all kind of expecting this for a while, and we kind of penciled him in as just another guy on the show. He, we would just already expect that he was he was committing to Auburn. We would speculate about where exactly he would end up at the depth, in the depth chart. But I want to ask you guys about this safety position. I mean, with Kaufman coming in now, it makes me more, feel more comfortable because whenever I look at a guy like the Ladarius Tennyson that we've heard a lot of good things about in, fall, or in spring camp so far, he would be getting that second starting role with Smoke Monday at the safety spot. It makes me more comfortable comfortable because, honestly, I don't see it in, in Tennyson. I see him more as a nickelback. I think he should play more in that, than in that spot. I know the average height for an NFL defensive back is 5'11", but I like my taller guys and the back end. I like having Smoke Monday at 6'2", and I like getting guys that can actually get back there and play the ball. But the problem with Kaufman is is he is 5'9", and Tennyson is 5'10". So my question to you guys is, is does size matter for these secondary guys as far as their heights because they need to be able to go up and play the ball with some of these t- longer, taller SEC receivers. I mean, and that's a fair question to ask when it comes to height. The way I see it, I look, I, you lost Chris Thompson Jr. You had to get some safety bulk. You're going right. to get a guy, you, you got, you know, a guy like Kaufman coming in who already knows the defensive scheme that you're running. He's, he's exactly. been tethered to Derek Mason his entire college career. He's good. He's going to be able to come in and know what to do. And you can, even if he doesn't start, He's a guy that you can have on the roster who can who can play and knows the system. It's a guy that, honestly, there's a reason we all penciled it in. It was just a fit. It was a fit that everybody kind of expected. Look, he his former his former coach, now the defensive coordinator here. They need some safety help. Let me go here and help them out. So you kind of expected this to happen. One thing I do like about him uh, over a guy like Tony Fair is Tony Fair said he was going to announce on Instagram at three o'clock. And his win, I don't know, maybe like 302, 303, or I think it was at 2 o'clock, 202, 203. Right. 
Kaufman gets it out 30 minutes early. Yep. I like ready. that. He was but, ready. Hey, first guy in, first you know, first guy in, last guy out. I, I like I like that already. He's already shown me that he's punctual. A plus in my book. There you go. So, you know, Coffin having four years of eligibility is also big for Auburn as far as replacing the the body of Chris Thompson Jr. in that room. Him being undersized, you know, 5'9", 195, he has spent one year in an SEC-ish weight room. We're going to go with Vanderbilt. We're going to give him three-quarter <laughs> credit on that. Uh, you know, if you're immediately concerned about, you know, his fit into the SEC, well, we've seen him play for a year. We've seen him physically be able to stand up. We've seen what he can and can't do. And obviously, like we said, Derek Mason is the guy who knows more than anybody else about him. I do feel that bringing in by Darius Knighton, like we did from Southeastern Missouri, that makes it a little bit easier as far as immediately replacing that size, giving you that larger presence if you need it. Yep. Um, while Donovan Kaufman, I mean, I don't know. He's, what, 18, 19? Maybe he gets another inch or two. But at the very least, you can expect him to do more than, you know, than, than the 190 that he currently plays at. Uh, but this is big as far as solidifying that back end, giving us multiple options as far as who's going to run the safety, both free and strong, who's going to run the nickel, um, and then what we're going to do depth-wise after this season, right. given that we are on the final season of Smoke Monday. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Is, you know, Smoke Monday, this is his last ride. This is his last season, and we got to be able to bring in some, some guys that can, can develop underneath him and be ready to go starting next season. I think the loss of Chris Thompson Jr. was significant. The fact that he ended up at a place like USC, I think, is telling to his ability to play. I think he's going to do great in Southern California. I wish him all the best. But, you know, we were kind of theorizing after he left. It was like there's no way he would have left this situation if he didn't think he was going to get playing time, especially if he thought Auburn was bringing in somebody else. And Kaufman hadn't committed at that time. So we were just speculating, saying, all right, he left the program because – there's another guy coming in that, that will play better than him. Turns out Auburn brought in two guys. So Chris Thompson Jr. leaving the USC is not, not a huge concern for me because Auburn's bringing two, in two guys that they believe can, can play that scheme better. And it's fantastic, like you mentioned, again, Smoke Monday, his last year, let's get, him, let's get two guys under him to develop and let's let them be the starters moving forward. The, the height doesn't necessarily concern me because of that, because we're getting a guy that they, that they believe in and they trust in. And also, we saw it at Vanderbilt. He's a playmaker. We saw him return a punt for a touchdown against LSU. He's versatile. He can play a lot of different positions in the back end. I think he's some, it's, it's interesting to see a five foot nine ball hawk, but I feel like that's kind of his vibe. He's giving me smoke Monday-ish vibes. Really excited to see what he can do in this system. I think it's a great depth piece for the Tigers. And the big thing is... You got four years of the guy. Exactly. Like you, like you have a lot of years to work him in, and that's and that's really valuable. When, like Lindsay pointed out, when you're losing a guy like Chris Thompson Jr., you are replacing the body. You're replacing a guy who has all this eligibility left, who could be a starter moving forward. He could be a great. I mean, he at worst he turns out to just be a death piece for his entire career. But you have a body, and you have the body for four years to come. And very underrated. He's a returner, too. Yes. You know who I don't want back there returning kicks and punts this year? I don't want Tank Bigsby back there. No. I don't want Sean Shivers back there. Exactly. Kaufman has experience returning in the SEC. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be the best returner in the SEC, but he's probably going to be at least average to above average, and he doesn't jeopardize any of our more important pieces. It's a position of depth where we're sitting the guy back there versus a position of weakness as far as depth goes from running back. And, and I'll clarify, we don't want Tank Bisbee back there returning no. punts and kicks because no. we don't want him to get hurt. Not because he wasn't very good at returning kicks and punts. It's the fact that you don't want him to get hurt. You saw it. 
I'll use my example of the NFL that I always use with the Saints. Alvin Kamara's first few years, he was back there returning kicks and punts. They realized, oh, this guy's really valuable. We should yep. probably limit the amount of hits he takes unnecessarily. And, I don't know, not put him back there in one of the most dangerous roles on a football field. Look, everybody knows, kickoff, punt return, like all the return game, it's one of the most dangerous. That's where you get a lot of your injuries coming from. I, I agree. You don't want Tank Bigsby back there taking those unnecessary hits. So it is nice to have a guy like Kaufman that you could slide in there and have him because he does have that experience with returning punts. And he might actually be somewhat – he should be an upgrade from some of the other returners that we've had in the past. Maybe not Tank Bigsby, upgrade over him, but you know, upgrade over guys like Christian Tutt who really – didn't do too much. Yep. And he, even older example, Steven Roberts, the fair catch king, yep. who was just, <laughs> dude, wasn't dropping it, but he also wasn't going anywhere when he got it. Yeah, it's keeping Bigsby safe, and I think that's the most important thing. And if you bring in a guy that's returned a punt for a touchdown against an SEC opponent, albeit LSU, who was, who didn't know how to play defense last season in special teams or, or, or in actual coverage. But do you all agree with me as far as Tennyson goes? Or is he a concern for you all? Because I saw so many different times last season. You know, I understand Auburn had a lot of blown coverages, and it might have just been the scheme. It might have been Auburn just kind of giving out towards the end of the season. I believe they gave up, what, 240 yards a game. And I would every now and then I'd see Tennessee be like well there he is just not where exactly he's supposed to be I don't exactly trust him on the back end or do y'all have that same concern or do y'all think that he's going to be able to step up and make some plays I'm not necessarily like I'm I I, I agree with you with everything you said so he is he was a little bit of a concern where you say like there are those times where you're watching a game you're like well he's not really where he's supposed to be but yeah I do kind of dismiss it a bit because he's a freshman right. and I think it's like a young guy who probably has taken a step forward. I assume he I assume he should be taking some sort of step forward this year. Mm-hmm. Granted, you're not going to see it until it's, you know, materialized on the field come the fall, but I he's not like I do have concerns with him, but they're not that great because I do believe that he should be developed. And I think with Derek Mason on the defensive side of the football, I think he will take a pretty good step. And especially in his maturation as a football player. Taking a true freshman and asking them to play all season and play in every game in the SEC, as well as, you know, going deep on kick returns is a lot to do. Right. And so, you know, I can understand taking all of that at one time and putting it on a true freshman, how you'd see times where he's not in position. Um, it's one of those things. He was recruited to Auburn for a reason. He was the fourth rated athlete in the country, um, you know, and, and he, he legitimately earned that. I think that he will be better. You will see him naturally progress, partly because, one, I trust I trust Derek Mason to put him in positions to be successful yep. versus versus him being out there wherever he is needed at the time due to depth reasons, due to injury reasons, things like that. But it's, it's definitely a – he's not my first option, and if he's the first option we run out there, I'm a little bit nervous, mm-hmm. but I'm not concerned about where he will be when we need him to be there if that makes sense. Right, and couple that to, to just go off of that. You know, we've seen so many different things uh, from this coaching staff. A lot of coach speak this offseason, but they've been able to harp on some individual players, and one of the guys that even the players are talking about that's been improving and is a hard hitter and is is bringing a passion to the game is Ladarius Tennyson. And, you know, I may have my concerns. Like you said, like y'all both said, I think it's a great point. You know, he was only a true freshman last season. You can't ask too much of the guy, especially whenever he's playing in relief of Jalen Simpson most of the season. But I think he's going to be able to do a lot of things. But my concern is how much, how long are we going to keep him out there on the field? Because like you said, he's probably still not my first choice. Let's give him time to develop and let's let this secondary kind of gel. I think this is going to be one of the best units in the country as far as depth is concerned. Because even with guys like 
Chris Thompson Jr. and Kamal Haddon leaving. We'll get to Haddon here in just a little bit. But with guys like that leaving, we're bringing in guys to replace them that I believe can hold their own. I think the secondary unit's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and I agree all with that. I mean, I think that regardless of where where you stand with Tennyson, this should be a great defensive. Like, it should be a great secondary. One of, Probably one of the better ones in the country. Man, just like that, we are 46 minutes in. Like, it, it just went by super, super fast today. Been some great discussions. We will wrap up our number one right after this break. You're on the line with Levi Fitzwater, Lance Daw, Lindsey Crosby. Wrapping up our number one here, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're going to wrap up the first hour with some football talk that we've been doing all day. But first, before we get to that, we're going to take a listen to what's on TV for tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A new episode of The Masked Singer as the competition has reached the semifinals at 7 on Fox. Following it at 8, it's Game of Talents. Some movie selections for tonight, The Goonies is on BBC at 7. The Dinosaurs are threatened to go extinct again. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is on FX at 6. In live sports, the NBA play-in tournament continues with the Western Conference as both games are on ESPN. At 6.30, the 9-10 game is between the San Antonio Spurs and the Memphis Grizzlies. At 9, LeBron James and the Lakers square off with the sharpshooting Steph Curry and the Warriors as a spot for the seventh seed is on the line. Full schedule of NHL playoff series at 5.30. Game 3 of a tied series between the Capitals and the Bruins on NBCSN. At 7 on CNBC, Game 2 between the Hurricanes and the Predators. At 8 on NBCSN, Game 1 between the Oilers and the Jets. And at 9.30 on CNBC, catch Game 2 of the Blues and the Avalanche. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. I thought Noah wasn't here today, and then he just snuck in here. He broke security protocols, and he ended up in here and told us about what's on TV tonight. A lot of good stuff going on. You got the NBA play in tournaments kicking out that we will talk about that later on as well. Mass Singer, everybody knows how great that is. But before we wrap up our number one, we are going to take a look into college football playoff. We got the question here. Outside of Notre Dame, which one of the teams, which will be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, will not make the playoffs this year or is most likely to miss the playoff this year. And the reason that I exclude Notre we we were talking about this, we ex, we're excluding Notre Dame from this argument because of two reasons. Number one, I, I, I give a lot I put a lot of stock in returning production. Look at what LSU did for two years in a row, whenever they had a lot of returning production. I actually had them going undefeated and they went undefeated and won a national title. Not not that's a flex. A, that's, but the thing is, it's like the, the next Humble season. Brag. The next season, they also had like, if not, the, I think it was the worst returning production in the country. And everybody and their mother thought LSU was going to be bad, and then they were. And so I'm begin. I'm beginning to put a lot more stock in returning production as a statistic. Notre Dame, 123rd out of 127 teams in returning production, only 49 percent. That's one reason. Reason number two is that they're not playing the ACC anymore. They're not going to get that light schedule, and they're not going to be able to get to get to play Clemson to kind of boost that playoff resume. If they played, I don't think they would beat them because they again they lost Ian Book, they lost a solid running back in Kylan Williams, and they're going to be starting a new uh, guy in Jack Cohn from Wisconsin. I don't think he's going to be able to carry the load and be a, efficient enough to beat a team like Clemson. I just don't see it happening. I don't get I don't see them getting through their schedule with 11 11 wins enough to get into the playoff. But that being said, that means there are three other teams that we can talk about. And there's Alabama, Ohio State, and then there's Clemson. 
And I wouldn't necessarily pencil in Alabama as a lock to be in the college football playoff. But every single year that they've had somebody leave, they've always been able to replace them, whether that be an outstanding player, an outstanding position coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. The entire team could leave, and Alabama would still win 9 or 10 games. So I, I immediately not, I, I rule them out. The other two teams, though, I'm, I'm interested to look at because there are different issues with both of them, and I think that there is, an, uh, there is a great argument to be made for Ohio State. Levi, you had some thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, and after look at it, looking at it, I mean, Ohio State and Clemson both look like the two likely candidates. Um, even Alabama, because their schedule, Alabama's schedule is tougher. Right. But if they drop one of those games, I mean, you drop if you lose at the swamp to Florida early on, and then you run the table the rest of the way, you're still in the playoff. You drop one to what we presume would be Georgia in the SEC championship. That's the only game you lost all year. You're still fine. You can lose to Auburn, not even make the SEC championship, and still end up in the playoffs. We have seen Alabama do that before. So I think the path to them is a little bit easier just because their schedule's better. But Ohio State, I mean, I think it's going to be tough for them because, one, they do have a they do have a good schedule, but it's not Alabama's schedule. And I don't think – like. I'm thinking they start off 0-2. I don't see them beat. I, I think Minnesota's got them. I think Oregon's got them. Really? I'll go ahead and say it. Wow. No, I mean, I think I think they have a good shot to early on drop one of those games because you're playing at you're playing at Minneapolis on a Thursday night. Granted, it's not a short week because it is the first game of the year. P.J. Fleck has had that team playing very well. Auburn you, fans know that. Yes, yes. And you have Tanner Morgan coming back for the Golden Gophers who – for all, you know, he has been a very good start. He's been there a while. Yes, you're losing Rashad Bateman, but you still have Ibrahim coming back at the running back position, one of the better running backs in the country. I do think that it's going to be a tough test for them to play at Minnesota in Minneapolis at the beginning of the year. And that's just game one. Yeah, and then you got to turn around and have Oregon coming in. You might be creeping ahead, looking a little bit to ahead of Oregon. And the reason I think that they struggle in these two games specifically, one, you're playing better competition, but two, you brought it up to my attention over the break. They're, what, 124th in returning uh, percentage or 121st in what their returning production is? Yep. So, like, yes, you put a lot of stock into that, more so at the beginning of the year. Because by the end of the year, these guys have played. They have more experience. They've been on the team playing. But at the beginning of the year, it's all new to them. So you don't like playing what I consider a very tough two-game start to a season with minimalistic returning experience. Okay, so one, you took all of my answers, which is frustrating. But I will point out that to go along with that, Ohio State's the one that has the most unsettled quarterback situation. Right. They have you know a three-headed monster that they're trying to figure out who's going to be the starting quarterback coming out of spring practice. Uh, two four-star prospects, and I believe a three, actually. Uh, but then you also look at the fact that they didn't bring a lot back. And this is the first team that is all Ryan Day recruits. So he, you know, he became the head coach in 2019. That was his first season. And so this is the first all Ryan Day thing. And I don't quite know if he's got it or not. Yeah, I mean, you're not coasting off of Urban Meyer's talent anymore. Lindsay, thank you for coming in, helping us thank out you today. So much. You have a great rest of your day and you get to stick with us. We will be right back starting off hour number two on the line. Stick with us. You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We do want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Catch me and Lance on Twitter, at Daw Pound and at Levi Fitzwater. And now we have someone on the line. 
we have someone who is here, uh, the man who needs no introduction, Mr. Zach Blackerby, or as my brain likes to associate it, Zacherby. How you doing today, my man? Man, guys, I can't believe it yet again. I'm on the line. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the line with you guys. Sometimes you just wake up and you and you just want to be on the line and every you, day, man. And you're every single day. And now here on a Wednesday, you get to be on the line and talk to Lance and myself. Yeah, no, I love it. And some uh, some breaking news. It's always nice when you're doing a show and news breaks. While you're on the air, Donovan Kaufman announcing that he is uh, going to be an Auburn Tiger, which is exciting. Auburn fans all over the place, super jazzed up. So it's a, it's a fun time to talk sports. So, Zach, what do you think about that Kaufman news? I mean, it was kind of one of those things that most Auburn fans and people around us kind of expected this yeah. move to happen. So what, now that it's actually, now that it's a thing, it's official, Kaufman said he's coming to Auburn, what does this mean for the Tigers and what should – what should fans be looking forward to out of him? Sure. Yeah, I mean, if he would have picked Texas or somewhere that wasn't Auburn, it would have been a, a major upset and meltdowns all over the state of Alabama would be happening right now. But, yeah, I think now the conversation is, okay, how much of an impact does he have on the defense, you know, year one? Because I think you look at it like, worst case, he's a depth piece. But if he's the safety next to Smoke Monday – then what does that mean for Ladarius Tennyson? Is he a backup safety now, or is he then moved to nickel? And then what does that do to Nehemiah Pritchett? Is, and then does Nehemiah Pritchett move to the backup nickel, or does he go back to outside corner opposite Roger McCreary? And then what does that mean for Jalen Simpson? So, uh, you know, could there be some sort of chain reaction that happens now that Donovan Kaufman is on this roster? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And then, of course, by Darius Knighton, does he possibly compete for one of these in-the-middle-of-the-field in spots, whether it's one of those stages of that nickel position? So all of a sudden, you know, the, the defense, the backfield, it was pretty thin with the departure of Kamal Haddon and Chris Thompson Jr. You guys touched on this a little bit last hour when I was uh, driving in. I heard y'all talking about this. But it goes from being pretty thin to uh, now it's pretty deep. There's lots of depth. I'd like to see a little bit more on the outside corner positions, but as far as the guys that play in the middle of the field, Derek Mason's got a lot of new uh, weapons to pick from. And as far as I posed this question earlier uh, to the guys earlier in the hour, but as far as height is concerned, Donovan Kaufman uh, listed at five foot nine, one ninety five. And you and I kind of talked about this, and like I understand that the average height of an NFL DB is five eleven, and you've got guys like Smoke Monday in the back or back secondary that are six foot three. But whenever you have guys like Ladarius Tennyson and Donovan Kaufman listed at 5'9 and 5'10, is that something to be concerned about moving forward? Or should we just expect that these, this coaching staff believes these guys can be ball hawks and be, can, be, can be ballers? So is it, is it okay that they're listed at that height? I think so. I think so. And I caught some slack on a Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcast every single day. But I, I got some slack by saying, you know, by Darius Knighton was – was undersized at six foot two hundred pounds, and after I got called out, I'm like, you know what, you're right, you're right. I'm overreacting to all of this, so I, I made a mistake there. And so Donovan Kaufman at five nine, you know, whatever these guys are listed at, they're probably a hair under it, you know. So uh, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal after you know, kind of looking at all that. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Is it a big deal as far as your draft stock? Yes, it is, but. Auburn's job is, you know, these coaches, their job is to put a good product on the field. And then if the product is good enough, it's then to get them into the NFL. So, um, yeah, I mean, is Kaufman going to, you know, 
battle with, you know, the height situation when it's time for him to enter the NFL draft a few years from now? Sure. But right now, as far as his impact on the field, we saw it at Vanderbilt, a very, very bad Vanderbilt team, and he was the highlight. Whenever you look at old Vanderbilt stuff, they're getting they're getting waxed, but Donovan Kaufman's all over the field. He's able to, you know, recognize plays quickly. He does a good job playing the ball while it's in the air. And then, of course, uh, you know, his, his first step is really, really impressive, and he's physical. So I think he's going to fit what Derek Mason wants to do because that's what Derek Mason did at Vanderbilt. He recruited Donovan Kaufman. And now as Auburn's defensive coordinator slash safeties coach, uh, it seems like that was important to Donovan Kaufman, and he knows what kind of a coach Derek Mason is. So uh, it seemed like a no-brainer. The fit made a ton of sense. And as far as his height goes, I mean, Derek Mason clearly wants this guy. He wanted him at Vanderbilt. Now he wanted him at Auburn. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because he can play. He can play. And so 5'9 only matters so much. When you're able to play, that, that's all that matters. How do you feel about T.J. Finley? I'm all in on T.J. Finley to Auburn. I'm all in on it. I, I think worst case is he's a depth piece because I like his upside way more than I like Grant Loy's. The interesting thing is if – if this all happens, I, I don't think he beats Bo Nix out for the job. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, based on his quotes and based on conversations that he's having with reporters where he's given guys the quotes about, you know, he can come in or he wants to come in and, you know, try to win the job and beat out Bo Nix and all of that. And then you pair that also with the fact that, you know, there's quotes with he's talking to Harson pretty much every day since he's entered the transfer portal. I think when you pair those two things together – all of a sudden you have to ask the question, well, what are they talking about? <laughs> if, if those are the, the quotes that he's like, you know, telling AL.com and Auburn Undercover and all the like, it's like, hmm. okay, so is, is, is Harson pitching him, hey, you can come in and, and win the job, which is interesting. And so then it's like, if he does come to Auburn, I, I don't think he can beat Bo Nix out for the job. I don't. And if he does, boy, that's going to be a wild fall to have that conversation. But I think worst case is he's a depth piece for Auburn in a, in a quarterback room, and then all of a sudden you look at it and it's like, well, what does D. Davis do? Does D. Davis stay put? Does he transfer? I don't know the answer to that. But when you look at it, it's like they both have around the same amount of years of eligibility, and I think if Finley comes in and doesn't win the job, all of a sudden it's like, okay, are we telling him he's the guy after Bo Nix? Is that how that's going to work? Well, then, you know, what about Holden Garner coming in? So – all of a sudden, the quarterback room looks a lot deeper, and I think Auburn fans are happy with that. Because, look, I mean, during the tail end of the Malzahn era, I, I had conversations with quarterback coaches, and they told me, look, I'm not pushing my guys to go play for Gus Malzahn anymore. I'm not telling my guys to go to Auburn anymore. That's just not – I don't think that they really developed those guys, and I don't think they put them in positions to succeed. I had quarterback coaches tell me that. I think we're going to see a turn of the tide now with – with, uh, with Brian Harson, I think you're going to see quarterbacks risk the possibility of playing time and not being the guy to compete to be Brian Harson's quarterback because we've seen what he's been able to do with quarterbacks at Boise State and at Texas. And so I, I think all of a sudden now Auburn is going to be a place where quarterbacks want to go because right now temporarily Mike Bobo, we'll see how long he's here, but for the long term Brian Harson because he's – He's go with quarterbacks, and he has that reputation, and he has that respect. So uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Finley goes to Auburn because of that and if Holton Garner stays put because of that, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see. But I think competition is needed in the quarterback room. You know, I, I think you know, it was good for Bo Nix to compete with Joey Gatewood when he was a true freshman, and I think he needs that competition now. 
And look, I think there was some intention when they brought Grant Loy in for there to be a little bit of a push. But Grant Loy, great hair. His hair is fantastic, <laughs> but his arm is really bad. We've seen it in you know short bursts, and it's not anything impressive. So um, we'll see what happens. But yeah, my thoughts on Finley, like uh, I think the hype is real. And there's a very real chance that he goes to Auburn. And I think that's exactly the way that Auburn fans need to see it, is competition. And, you know, it's something that Harson has talked about with Bo Nix. He's trying to put this guy in a pressure cooker, trying to make this team more competitive, trying to get this team to focus, get, get, can get comfortable under this new scheme. You know, I've heard that Bo Nix could potentially be a dark horse for the Heisman this season. I don't know if that's exactly been penciled in for sure Only yet. Only if he's having fun. Only if he's having fun, though. You know, there's a lot of and, factors. And if he's that... more comfortable in this new offense. Exactly. So he's got to be able to get more comfortable, and I think the best way to do that is to bring in some competition to force him to drive himself to get better and so my question to you is Zach is Auburn's going to be able to do that uh, for these first couple of games this season they're going to be able to play Akron and Alabama State and kind of get the kinks worked out but then they go and play Penn State and you know yesterday ESPN announcing that that will be under the lights in Happy Valley 6 30 p.m. Central Time kickoff what else does Auburn have to do to figure themselves out before they get that game because that is the hostile environment alone. You should talk about whether or not Penn State's a good football team, but the, the hostile environment alone is going to make it a really tough game. Yeah, and I don't know about y'all, but as soon as I saw the news, wow, 6.30, primetime game, ABC, going to be in Penn State. They're probably going to do a whiteout. And I just kind of thought back to Bo Nix going back to the swamp his freshman year and how bad that looked. And then LSU that season as well. And just really how bad he's looked away from during here stadium and hostile environment. That's going to be a hostile environment. I mean, you think about it. I mean, the big 10 essentially pushed away all of their fans last year and even teased them with the fact of not having a football season. That's going to be their first big home game and they're going to want it. They're going to want it bad. And that's going to be a hot ticket. Tickets are like 400 bucks last I looked. So, well, that's, that's pretty high for a, for a college football game. So uh, it's going to be a rowdy crowd. It's going to be rambunctious. And when you look at, like, how Auburn's going to tune up in those first two games against, you know, two cupcakes, you know, scheduled games where, you know, Auburn should have no issue putting points on the board, there's the whole debate of, like, you hit the ground running and you push the offense and you really empty the playbook and you put a lot of things on tape until you have true game reps. Or do you just be as conservative as possible and like you just kind of let the running game of, of Tank Bixby and Sean Shivers and just kind of some routine routes from Bo Nix to guys like Kobe Hudson and Zevion Capers and Elijah Canyon and just, you know, I mean, I think you could kind of coast and put 30 or 40 points up on the board. Do you do that? Or is Harson going to say, no, we've got to get ready for Penn State and just not worry about it? That's going to be a fun debate that I think Auburn fans are going to have over the course of the offseason in this long summer that we're about to hit is how would you want Harson to prepare for that? Do you, do you put more stuff on tape? I'm kind of leaning towards that way with a first-year head coach in this new situation. Um, just empty the playbook and put as much on tape as possible because Penn State still doesn't really know what they're preparing for, uh, but also it kind of gets your guys ready. So I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think only Brian Harson knows the answer to that, and he may not have made that decision yet. I don't know. But that's going to be a fun conversation as far as how they get the team ready for that third game on the schedule. We'll shift, uh, shift the focus a little bit from football to basketball. Is Scoot Henderson to Auburn dead? 
Uh, I think so. I, if, if it's not dead, it's certainly fizzling out. Um, you know, the, the Katie Johnson news where it certainly seems like Auburn's going to land him. I think that's something you've got to look at and say, okay, another guard um, is the writing on the wall with that decision. But also, I mean, you're, you're seeing all the quote-unquote you know, recruiting experts, and these guys are right nine times out of ten. They're putting in crystal balls. He's going to the G League. And you look at it, and I mean, this has just been such a long saga with Scoot Henderson as far as, like, is he going to Auburn? Is he not? Is he staying in high school? Is he not? Is he able to reclassify or can he not? Now it's the G League. And when you look at the money involved with all that, like, I certainly can't fault the kid for doing that. And it's a bummer. It's going to be Auburn's third guy that they've lost the G League in two off seasons, But that's kind of the cost of recruiting at the level that Bruce Pearl and his staff is. But is Scoot Henderson the Auburn dead? I, I'm not going to say it's dead, but it is fizzling away quickly, and there's not much of it left. Well, outside of, of Scoot, Auburn's been able to bring some in some really talented recruits over the past couple of seasons. And, you know, with the, with the loss of Sharif Cooper, even though he's gone, Auburn's been able to kind of reload and retool with some, new, with some new transfers. And, you know, there's a lot of Auburn fans out there that are really excited about this 21-22 season. So I ask the question to you before we let you go, is this the year for Auburn basketball? A lot of people think it is. What are your thoughts? They're in the best situation that I can remember. Um, I mean, you look at it, there's not really a, a glaring weakness. I think we're putting a lot of lot of emphasis and a lot of faith in Wendell Green Jr., uh, and I think it's deserved. I think he was fantastic in the Ohio Valley Conference last year, and he was really, really good as a freshman, one of the best freshmen in college basketball a season ago. So I think he's worthy of it. I think he deserves it. But outside of that, like you got crazy depth, too, I don't know if you have a guy that's clearly better than all the other shooting guards, but I'm really high on Desi Seals. I know that's kind of split throughout the fan base, but I really like him at that two spot. And you've got, you know, guys like Zepp Jasper as well that may be a little combo guard action similar to Jamal Johnson over the past few seasons. And then Alan Flanagan, I mean, the NBA is really zeroing in on a guy like Alan Flanagan, especially if he can play off ball a little bit more than he did last season. And then, I mean, just the size that they have down low with Jabari and, and you know, the, the human tree that they got from, <laughs> from North Carolina with, uh, with Kessler. I mean, uh, if you watch Lord of the Rings, it's like he's an int. He's huge. <laughs> he's tall. He's towering. But, yeah, I mean, they've got everything. They've got everything that they need. They've got, their, you know, a perfect mix of experience and just raw, talented youth. It, I mean, when you look at the recipe that it takes for you to win a national championship in college basketball, they've got it. And now they've just got to pull it all together, and Bruce Pearl can do that better than anybody. Zach, thanks for taking time and coming on with us today. Go ahead, do your promotions for anybody out there who is foolishly not keeping up with you. Well, I appreciate that, guys, and I always appreciate the time. It's always great to be on the line with you guys. But yeah, Locked on Auburn. It's available wherever you get your podcast, Locked on Auburn. And uh, you can follow me on social media. Just search at uh, ZBlackerby. I'm most active on Twitter than the other places. But, yeah, guys, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. You have a great day, okay? You too, guys. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. Had a lot of great conversations with him. We're about to go head to a break right now. On the other side of it, we're going to talk some future Auburn football scheduling and put a little bit of a twist on and see who Lance and I would like to see them scheduled. We'll be right back with On the Line. You're on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. 
ESPN 1067, Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. 334-321-1390 is the, is the phone number to call. We'll talk about anything. We'll talk Auburn football, Auburn basketball. We'll talk Braves, Falcons, NFL, NHL, NBA. We got them all. We'll talk about all of them. And don't forget that after our show, you can check out Auburn High School Baseball over on 96.3 W. Lee as Auburn will be taking on Hoover. And it's it's a big one up there. That's why Noah's not here today. He's up there calling that game with Scott Bagwell. But I tease this going into the last break. We are We do have some scheduling news. Auburn has added Ball State to its 2025 schedule as well as ULM, Louisiana Monroe, to its 2022 schedule, which is crazy because I can't even think about what I'm going to wear for like going to work the next day. And they got these schedules into the future. Lance, do these these two teams stick out for you at all? I think think ULM does just because it's closer home. It's kind of fun to play a team that's kind of closer to Alabama and just whip on them. And they have beaten Alabama uh, in I, in years, they and have, they they took Auburn to overtime. That's right. In I was that, about to say in that year that we don't talk about. They've been a competitive. Uh, they've been somewhat of a competitive football team. And you know, over the last four or five seasons, whenever I go and look at ULM and, and them statistically, it's like they they had a quarterback there for a hot minute. I believe his name was Caleb. Uh, his last name is is. Uh, is escaping me at the moment, but their offense was always so efficient under that kid, and they've been able to play some really good ba- or really good football offensively. Um, but you know, ULM is is at least been competitive on that side of the football and in the Sun Belt. You know, they've been on and off. They've been keeping up with the good teams. They always seem to get close, but never quite there. So you know, they're a talented team as far as Sun Belt play goes, but. You know, it's just another team for Auburn to kind of whip up on and kind of get pre- kind of get prepared. I believe that ULM game is going to be in between the Iron Bowl and whatever SEC game Auburn would play before that next season. Uh, but you know, those, those games are fun. Yeah, they're always fun. It's always fun to see them play on somebody. Before we get into the question that we are going to ask, I have a question for you that just kind of crop. It just kind of popped in my head. I wanted to ask you: Do you like Louisiana Monroe's shift that they did with their their re their rebranding, or I guess? What was what's the word for it? The the new retro, I guess, as you say, you go back right. to what you were, but you modernize it a little bit. Do you like the going back to where they came from with the old school colors, the old school logo? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm not mad at it. You know, I kind of miss the camo uh, uniforms that they would do. I always thought those kind of looked cool. I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on. Uh, you know, uniforms, especially in college football, you know, it's like a lot of people think a lot of things are disgusting and they don't look good. I think some things look cool, uh, but let's not talk about what Florida did. And I believe it was 2016 against Texas A&M. Those Gator jerseys were not it. Those are terrible. Those may be the worst things I've ever, they may be the worst jersey I've ever laid eyes on. But as far as ULM and like their rebrand, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I like what they're doing with the program now, as far as like logos and stuff goes. It, it just looks more like it looks more official. Like it, 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 does. Look, it looks a lot more like. And the camo looked yeah. cheap in a way, but you know, but I, it was nice. It I mean, was, it, I really liked it. I thought it. I thought it. Looked it's clean. because it was like the camo that you could go purchase like right. at a Walmart. Like it's, it's just like that traditional right. old school camo. It's not like the digital. It's not anything like that. But yeah, I mean, it was. It's always nice um, whenever you see. You see some jerseys that in college football that you just absolutely love. You you got some people to knock them out of the park, but then you have the Floridas where they tried out those awful looking gator one so it's a, a a way more prestigious uh university specifically when it comes to football so that's 
it's interesting. <laughs> true, true. But not to spend too much time on that. I just thought about it because I have actually been uh, been playing NCAA 14, and I may or may not have, you know, made a little bit. I uh, used a little bit of a patch on that game to play with Louisiana Monroe's old school uniforms that have been patched into that game. But we want to stick to this question here. Now, with these teams that are, you know, G5 teams, the group of five teams that are being added to Auburn's schedule, what is a team that you would like to see at the group of five level, not power five conferences? What's a group of five team that you would like to see Auburn add to their schedule? Well, I think there's two that a lot of Auburn fans are kind of calling for. It's like, well, let's get these guys on the schedule. It'd be fun. And I think the number one team that you got to look at, my knee-jerk reaction whenever I thought about this question, let's, let's let play, play UAB. Why have you not played UAB yet? They've been back. They're they're back uh, playing football, and they're playing really good football. What do you have to lose? I mean, they're a really talented football team. There's no way you lose to them, all due respect. But that's that's why. That's, that's why, why right there. Because if they lose to that game, it is horrible for them. That is why they don't play that game. But they're a good football team. But I think quarterback play with Tyler Johnston has kind of held them back over the past two years. I don't think they're going to be able to reach that next level until they find a new guy. But UAB would be so fun. And you say, well, they haven't really been able to schedule anybody else. And, they, like, and they're just kind of trying to get feel everything out, get back into being a normal program. You know, they're getting a new stadium. It's like, oh, really? Well, they played Texas A&M. And everybody thought that was going to be a good matchup. They lost like 42 to 21 or something like that. And then this season, they're getting to play at Georgia. Why can't Auburn schedule this team? They're an hour away from them. Come on, y'all. Like, it would be such a competitive, fun matchup. And I understand some people would be like, oh, well, what if it's a close game? Oh, then everybody's going to be freaking out. You, you played Tulane in 2019, and that game essentially went down to the wire. If their quarterback knew how to throw, throw football, it would have been either a loss or like a three-point win. Yeah, I mean, Just two, I mean, Tulane hung around in that game. I mean, they had some great guys on the edge that were playing in that game that really, really put a style. Like, they stifled Auburn's offense in that game, made Auburn look bad. I agree with you. I would like to see UAB. I'd like to see Troy as well. I think that's another team that I'd like to see them schedule. But to kind of break off of that, I, there was one that just stuck out to me. It's obvious. I don't know if it happens. Boise State. I, I, feel yes. like, I feel like Auburn, Boise State, and Atlanta is a thing that could just like... Chick-fil-A I, kickoff? Yeah, I feel like that's a good one. Um, honestly, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate to see Auburn actually travel to Boise State simply yep. for the fact that, one, Bluefield, always awesome to watch them on the Smurf turf. But you have, you, like now you have a connection out there that makes a little bit of sense with the Brian Harson coming from Boise State. It would be cool to see him go back or just have them come in. The only reason I say go there is because, obviously... Bluefield, you'll want to watch them at Bronco Stadium. But I could realistically see that game as a Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Like, I think that would be really cool. And mm-hmm. Boise State's a little bit higher on the list because it is, it's a respected group of five team. And if you want to go counterpoint on another one, UCF, uh, I would like to see them. Bring man, it. oh, man. That would, oh, man, that would be good. I, I play them here. I Honestly, I'd like to see them in, in, in Atlanta. I would like to get redemption for that bowl game. I would like to see them beat them beat UCF in Atlanta. But uh yeah, you could you could go down the bounce house bounce house if you want to. Bring them to the plains. Home and home. Let's do it. I'm I'm down for a home and home with UCF. I don't know if the fans would like that. I think like they like it, but also you lose that game, you're not feeling good. You're right. not feeling good if you lose that game. It'd be if they played this year it'd be it'd be really fun. I'll just say that. I think it would be a competitive game. It would be a lot of fun. I think as far as like Mountain West teams go and it's like if if anybody would push back on Boise State, Arkansas scheduled a home and home with Colorado State and they lost at Colorado State. 
it just shows the competitive nature of some of these teams out west. It's like you don't, you never know what you're going to get. And I understand Arkansas was terrible during that time period, but still, I'd love to see Auburn go play a team like Boise State. Maybe go out west. West, there actually are. They're going to get to play UCLA, UCLA here in just a couple of years. They're going to do a home and home with them, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I think another team that you should, you should look for that's right here in the state is Troy with Chip Lindsey. Why wouldn't we go play them? That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you could have, you could honestly have Troy come come to Auburn, and I think I still think the issue is why they don't do that is because if you do end up losing that game, you saw Troy go into Death Valley and beat LSU recently within the past five years, and I mean, you could see that. I forgot about that. A, wow, a, you end up with a situation like Jacksonville State where JSU comes in and takes Auburn to overtime, let's be honest, that Auburn team wasn't the greatest. And But like if you ha- when that happens, it's like very just, it's very demoralizing for mm-hmm. a program. And you know that Troy and UAB are going to give Auburn their absolute like best, like that'll be their Super Bowl. Because a lot of these guys who end up going to those schools probably would have wanted to go to Auburn, but you know. Didn't get that shot. Didn't get the call. So like they're going to give it their all and be like, hey, this is what you're missing out on. That is the only thing. I think it would be awesome. I'd love to see him play. I'd love to see him play at you, you know, at Legion Field. Go ahead and go up there to UAB and play him. Go go play at Troy. Get a lot of people packed out into those small small football stadiums. I think that'd be really cool. But realistically, they'd come to Auburn on the uh, right. you know at Jordan Hare. I still think that'd be a great great thing for the state. I think you could legitimately say let's schedule all three of the teams in 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 Alabama, South Alabama, UAB and Troy. Let's schedule oh, them yeah. over the next few years. I'd love to see a home and home with South Alabama. That would be fun. Oklahoma State came down there a couple years ago. Why can't Auburn? That's true. That's true. And I changed my answer. My favorite one is going to be scheduling at Hawaii. Uh, I think that would yes. be the, I think that'd be the best one. But we're about to go to the break. Stay with us on the line. You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Follow us on Twitter, at Levi Fitzwater, at Lance Daw. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. 334-321-1390 is the call. Some news yesterday that I just wanted to hit on real quick. Bucky's coming to Auburn, as it seems. That is a just astronomically amazing thing. If you've never been to a Bucky's, you're going to enjoy getting beaver nuggets off of exit 50 on on interstate 85. I mean, so I've never been. I've oh, it's, never it's been. Great. I don't understand the hype. Tell oh, me about it. So my, my mom lives in Orange Beach, Alabama. So okay. going down there, one of the first ones that I think is still the only Bucky's that's not in Texas is in Foley, Alabama on the on that route down there. Think of like think of your love's truck stop. Okay. And then just put that on steroids to like times a billion. Like it's it, you can get brisket in there, like legitimately good brisket. Really, in this place, they've got the beaver nuggets. They've got all kinds of different candies, different meats, jerkies. You've got uh, a clothing area. You can. It's like a. It's legitimately a super center. You can get clothes. You can get stuff for the beach. You can get your drinks. You can get food. You can get little trinkets and toys for the kids. Like there's so there. I mean, there's knickknacks for the house in there. Like there's so many different things at the Bucky's. And plus, I mean, you get to look at the beaver. I mean, like, if your high school crush wasn't the Bucky's Beaver, what were you doing? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you see that smile, and you just automatically think that is who I want to marry when I get older. Wow. But to get off of that subject, we got a little bit of NFL news here that is a little pertinent to this area. You have the Patriots; they re-signed veteran quarterback Brian Hoyer. 
So what does this mean for like what is this going to affect that quarterback situation in New England that has some heavy Auburn and Alabama ties with Cam Newton, the presumed starter going in, but he's got the backup in Mac Jones that was just drafted last month. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things going on with this quarterback room. So Cam Newton, obviously the starter as of right now. Then you got Jones, who you drafted. Jarrett Stidham is still somehow in this quarterback room, and that's not a knock on Jarrett Stidham. I just am surprised that he's still here in New England after not getting to play for three seasons. I completely forgot Jarrett Stidham was on that team at this point because I, of all everything that's happened. Yeah, I saw something earlier, actually, that the Texans are, are have a little bit of interest in Stidham of potentially trading for him. We'll see how that works out. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to that. Just saying, I saw that earlier. And then you got Brian Hoyer. And he's a guy that you don't necessarily need because, again, veteran, older guy, doesn't really have the arm strength to compete with the other three guys in Stidham, Jones, and Newton. And so whenever I look at this quarterback room, I think, man, what is? why are they re-signing Hoyer? What's the purpose? You got three other quarterbacks that can probably play better than him. And so the more I think about it, the more I realize, like, well, they're not signing him to play. I think they're signing him to help develop Mac Jones. And this is the reason why. I think Brian Hoyer being in this system, this this Bill Belichick system, and being able to actually interact with guys like Tom Brady in the past, I think he's got a lot of wisdom to share with some new quarterbacks. I think the it's, it's very similar to the Aaron Rodgers situation, except it seems like Hoyer's actually going along with it, um, even though Hoyer was not the starter and not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But it's a similar situation to the fact that he they drafted a a guy to be their guy and they're they're bringing in they're re-signing a veteran to kind of help him get to the point where he needs to be in case they call on his name this season that being said how much longer is cam newton going to be here is he going to be here through the season is are we going to see mac jones at some point overtake the starting job if newton is not performing because last year let's be honest that was a subpar performance from cam newton especially in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, post-COVID, Cam Newton was not great. And nope. a lot of his balls, like, when he, whenever he was throwing, it, like, it, uh, they were going so far down. Like, he was under-throwing a lot of guys because it just seemed like he was holding on the ball at, a, like, at a weird with his mechanic. And I don't know if that's just, like, his arm, you know, being spent after everything that's happened or what. We talk about... TJ Finley and comps for him and you talked about how he holds on to the ball just a little bit too long whenever he goes to release it he kind of cranks back backs up and then just kind of heaves it forward instead of like yeah. flicking it putting his putting his shoulder into it and that's very similar to what Newton was doing last season I don't know if it was injury don't know if it was just post-COVID just kind of just wasn't necessarily feeling it but you're exactly right I think that's another really good comp for Finley as a guy that just kind of winds up like he's throwing a baseball and just wasn't putting it on target. Yeah, in terms of the passing ability, like you, you can see a little bit of uh, Cam Newton and TJ Finley, like a little bit of comp in the passing game. Cam Newton, obviously a more athletic, more mobile right. guy than Finley. I don't want anybody out there to think no. that we're, we're comping the the running ability because TJ Finley is definitely a pro-style quarterback. He, he can move, but that's not what you're getting beat by first. But yeah, I, I don't think Cam Newton makes it through. I mean, I think he makes it through this season, but he will not be on the Patriots next year. I, I don't even think they signed... I think with the way that they did this, I think they re-signed Cam Newton simply for the fact to help get some guys in there in free agency. Cam Newton is a guy who's well-respected in the league. Players love him. They love playing around him. But let's be honest, if you're going off of last year's tape and what happened, he's not a guy He's not a guy who's worth like you wanting to start. Like You don't want to really bring him in right now if you're the New England Patriots. I think they used him. Signed him for a year, got some guys like the Hunter Henrys, the Janu Smiths. You got some guys like that to come in, and then you're just going to move on from him to Mac Jones. And counterpoint, 
completely a little bit off topic. I, I, I'm I'm kind of perplexed as to why the Washington football team hasn't given the Patriots a call for a guy like Jarrett Stidham. Yep. I mean, you're looking at him, and their quarterback situation is Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay. Uh, Kyle Allen coming off an injury, looked okay. And the best quarterback in the league, Taylor Heineke, yep. who almost you know beat Tom Brady in a playoff game. People forget. I, yeah, people forget. I mean, they the Patriots or the Buccaneers went through that gauntlet and almost lost to the football team in the first round of the playoffs. I I, I don't see why the football team wouldn't even give him a call for a guy like Jared Sidham. Uh, you you alluded to the Texans. That makes sense. Uh, he could come in and maybe start. Bef- he could come in and provide backup to Tyrod Taylor. I still think Davis Mills has a lot to offer, but I think Tyrod will be the starter. If you're the Falcons, you bring him closer back to Auburn. I mean you. Throw him as a backup to Matt Ryan. You don't really have a young guy in the future right now anyway. I could see him providing something. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Jarrett Stidham, in the time he's played in the NFL, has not looked good. Or if you're or if you're getting tired of famous Jameis's uh, turnovers that he's been cooking up in his bakery, if he starts throwing picks, you know, maybe slide over, get some Jarrett Stidham action, let him play some quarterback, you know? No. I'm just messing with you. Ja- I'm just ja- messing you. Jameson is look, Jameson. James James Winston is he's he's going to 100% cut down turnovers this year. I believe that. He man has been putting in all the offseason work. Every day I'm getting a video of this man working out. He doesn't look pudgy like he used to, kind of like how I do post a uh, back injury from where I've been laying on my, you know, laying in bed so much. He ha- he he looks in shape. He looks locked in and it seems that the players Players want Jameis. I know Alvin Kamara wants Jameis because uh, Alvin Kamara like could not stand Taysom Hill playing quarterback mm-hmm. at all. Would you say that Jameis is focused in having fun? I believe he's focused, having fun. I think he has a real grasp of this system and the playbook. He's comfortable. He could be a dark horse for the MVP of the league. I think so. I think so. Like you could, if, if he gets his stuff together and he stops throwing interceptions, I think he's a dark horse I mean, for the MVP for I mean, sure. That's. I mean, it's like I know we were like started like halfway joking about that but in all seriousness if you took Jameis Winston's stats and his touchdowns and took just the picks and just took away like and made the picks respectable like you are looking at an MVP candidate like in that and that's crazy to think out because everybody's like oh he's a turnover machine he's like yeah that's his that's the only flaw he's really had everything else in his game in terms of stats have been great you know wins have been you know a lacking but uh typically when you turn the ball over 30 times in a season just from you alone, just you know, thirty picks in a season. Typically, you're not going to win games. Turnovers are, are a game killer. So, if Jameis Winston cuts down those picks, that's a guy who does end up, who who could be in the top. Like, I mean, he was a first round pick for a reason. Like, I mean, right. the, the talent's there. It's just better decision making. He looks locked in. I could see him being a guy like that. He's got guys to throw to for sure. Yeah, he's got some guys to throw to. Uh, they're still missing a primary number two if somebody like Triquan Smith gets hurt, but. Yeah, uh, to circle back towards the Patriots thing, I, I literally think that Brian Hoyer is there as a veteran presence, and I think this does mean that we are seeing Jarrett Stidham shipped out, whether that means he is traded or just flat-out cut, because they didn't invest a lot in Jarrett Stidham. I know everybody kind of assumed, I mean, it was a fourth-round pick, but or fifth-round pick, I believe it was a fourth-round pick. I, I, I do know that when Jarrett Stidham was brought in, everybody said, oh, this is the guy. This is yep. Tom Brady 2.0. And it never really looked that well. I mean, you didn't see Stidham make any kind of flashes or anything like that. So I'm not sure what happened there, but he is a guy that I think should be on a team's radar if like the reason I say for the football team is because they can't really get they can't get good quarterback value where they're drafting. They're in yeah. that worst position 
uh, that I call in the NFL where you're consi- consistently eight and eight, seven and nine, you know, like that nine and seven, which now it's a little bit different because of the 17 game season. Yep. But they're mediocre and they're like they're they're in that sea of mediocrity where they're really they're a good team and they could be a great team with a quarterback. Problem is they're not drafting high enough to get one of the top tier quarterbacks, and it's Washington. You're not gonna lure anybody as a free agent or even or you know, get somebody in there. So I don't see why you don't just take a flyer on a young guy. He might come in and we saw what happened last year. Everybody on that roster got hurt. Every quarterback they had got hurt. There's a reason Heineke was in the playoff game, and even he got hurt. Some guy that I can't even remember had to come in and play. So, look, they they could use some help. I could see them, you know, taking you take a flower on a guy like Jared Sidham, where talent's there, just hadn't developed. I trust Ron Rivera. He gets the most out of most of his quarterbacks. I mean, he put Kyle Allen on the map in the NFL. Like people know who Kyle Allen is because of Ron Rivera. Right. Nobody right. else is trying Kyle Allen out there. Here's my thought on Jarrett Stidham. I, I understand that Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick, and you can say what you want about that, about his ability to to pan out. But looking back on it now, Jarrett Stidham, I don't think, was the long-term answer at quarterback as a fourth-round pick from Auburn. I'm just saying I don't think, and looking back on it, that's a little bit of revisionist history, just uh, like using future events to kind of dictate what we think about the past. And I know a lot of people don't like to use that in arguments, but man, looking back on it, like he was not the answer. I don't know necessarily if he was the answer then. And looking at it now, he's definitely not the answer because, you know, they just drafted a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, I mean, they just drafted a guy because he's definitely not the answer. And at the time, I was thinking that you were going to find a guy like, Tom Brady because it was New England. New England didn't miss when it came to decisions. Right. But we're starting to see here lately that um New England New England do be missing sometimes. Like they do they they miss sometimes when they're doing things. Nikhil Harry hasn't panned out. I don't know how that happened. Do you like Nikhil Harry's look bad. Like he's look bad. Sony Michelle, the most consistent player in the NFL, consistently bad year in and year out. Um I'm sorry, second. Miko Hardman's the most consistent guy because he's consistently bad year in and year out as well. I want to I want to give a shout out to Nikhil Harry for just absolutely ruining my receiver room last season. Me thinking that he was going to be pretty decent in uh, fa- fantasy football. But as far as like Stidham is concerned, why not shop him around to a team like Washington? You're exactly right. Get let Washington take a chance on a young guy like him. Let him get into a quarterback room where there's not a lot of depth or talent, and see if you can develop him. Because again, like you said, if you if Ron Rivera can get a guy like Kyle Allen on the map, there's no way he couldn't do the same for Stidham. I think they're both on the same playing field. Allen from an SEC school in Arkansas, uh, Jarrett from an SEC school in Auburn got to play at Vanderbilt where they like to really stretch the field. It, it's too too decent offenses. Why not give him a shot at Washington, let him play in a pro system, kind of dink and dunk, and have some fun? Could yeah. be a dark horse for the MVP. He could be a dark horse for the MVP. We're about to head to break. We're going to wrap up the second hour of this show and just, you know, the show in totality with some breaking news that actually just broke involving Auburn football. So stay with us if you want to hear us talk about that on the line. You're on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We are wrapping up another show in the books on this fine Wednesday. The weather's looking good. And we got some Auburn football news to talk about that literally broke as we are going to break as we were going to break. But first, I'm going to put you on the cliff just a little bit longer. We're going to listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A new episode of The Masked Singer as the competition has reached the semifinals at 7 on Fox. Following it at 8, it's Game of Talents. Some movie selections for tonight, The Goonies is on BBC at 7. The Dinosaurs are threatened to go extinct again. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is on FX at 6. In live sports, the NBA play-in tournament continues with the Western Conference as both games are on ESPN. At 6.30, the 9-10 game is between the San Antonio Spurs and the Memphis Grizzlies. At 9, LeBron James and the Lakers square off with the sharpshooting Steph Curry and the Warriors as a spot for the 7th seed is on the line. Full schedule of NHL playoff series at 5.30. Game 3 of a tied series between the Capitals and the Bruins on NBCSN. At 7 on CNBC, Game 2 between the Hurricanes and the Predators. At 8 on NBCSN, Game 1 between the Oilers and the Jets. And at 9.30 on CNBC, catch Game 2 of the Blues and the Avalanche. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. We got a lot on TV tonight. NBA play-in game. You've got NHL playoffs going on for Lord Stanley's Cup, but some news involving the Auburn football program. Auburn cornerback Marco Domio is going to enter the transfer portal. He will be the sixth Auburn player to transfer since the conclusion of spring football. Lance, what does this mean and why is this happening? Well, I'm kind of surprised because it's very similar to the Kamal Haddon situation. You know, he's a Juco guy, kind of transfer in, quite literally had just gotten here in the program and then all of a sudden Kamal Haddon just disappears right before our eyes. Domeo waited until Kaufman made his decision to kind of give his announcement and say, all right, guess I'm out then. But I think, again, there's a way to make a, give, give this a positive spin because a lot of Auburn fans, I think, We'll, we'll immediately, whenever they see a guy transferring out, we'll get concerned. It's like, oh, no, what's going on with the program? Like, are guys arguing is something bad going on? No, I just think that we're bringing in guys that are that are so talented that the guys already on roster are, are afraid that they're not going to get playing time or they've been told, hey – we're bringing in this guy to be our guy. You you would be better off, better served, getting in the transfer portal and going and finding a different home. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing whenever you look at Auburn secondary, like Zach was saying. You know, there was so much there was so much depth to begin spring practice. Then it got thin, and now that Auburn's bringing back guys to like to to get and, and fill those positions, it's looking like it's deep again. And whenever you lose a guy like Marco Domeo, I don't think it's the end of the world because again. You've brought in guys that can fill in those holes and legitimately, would Domeo have ever seen any serious playing time? I don't think so. Yeah, you don't think he would have seen enough playing time to warrant. Like, Staying. Yeah, I mean, like it makes sense. And especially with the way things are now, you look out for your, you got to look out for yourself. Because, I mean, right. this is a business decision where, look, gone are the days of you got to be a team player and you got to stick it out even if you're not playing. Look, these guys, their ultimate goal is to try to make it to the league or to at least play. Like, you, you want to do one of those things. Most of these guys, anyway, that's what the goal is. If you're not doing either of those things, like, if you're not playing, you're typically not making it to the league. I mean, it's right. going to be really hard to get an NFL team to want to draft you if you can't get on the football field. So, you understand why it is. It's also of note that Domeo was one of the guys at Auburn Spring Game that did not participate. He was absent for an undisclosed reason. The other two, you know, two of the other guys. Handy and Hardy, who also transferred out. So half of the guys who have transferred since spring missed spring for an undisclosed reason. I'm sure that probably had something to do with it. Maybe there were some sort of rumblings before that. Maybe they were hampered by a little bit of injuries that they felt they could not overcome to get back. They, maybe they felt like they dropped the ball a little bit on what I'll call the first impression 
on the new coaching staff. Maybe they felt right. they were so far behind because they missed spring. Maybe they set out spring because they were like, I, I, don't, I don't think I really want to be here. I'm right. kind of on the fence. I, I don't know. So, And maybe the with this, this pure speculation, but if the coaching staff was disgruntled or the players were disgruntled with the coaching staff, maybe that's why – Auburn went to go ahead and, and look and say, okay, what else is in the transfer portal? What else can we start recruiting? Because obviously these guys aren't sold on the system. Let's bring in a guy that is. And that's another positive way to look at it is, is Auburn had players on the roster that weren't fully committed to this new coaching staff. Let's get some guys in that are that are A, talented, and B, are willing to commit to the amount of playing time that Harson and this coaching staff wants to give them. Just looking at Marco Domio's bio, six foot one, one seventy five. He's a cornerback out of Houston, Texas. He's a senior this season, so that means I, I assume he would be a graduate transfer wherever he goes. I don't know if that that changes because of the new NCAA transfer rule. If you'll get an extra year after that. But again, junior college transfer at cornerback. He was at a blend junior college in Texas. He only had six tackles this season, two against Ole Miss, four against LSU. And he played in the Citrus Bowl against Northwestern. He started that game, but didn't record a single stat. One of the nation's top-rated junior college defensive backs coming out of JUCO, 26 tackles, eight pass breakups as a second-team all-conference selection at Blinn College. But, you know talented talented corner and again I talk about size with defensive backs and height and I really like a guy that's six foot one is can be able to actually keep up with some of these receivers and it's a shame to lose a guy like that obviously very talented corner but again Auburn fans don't panic this guy either didn't want to be here or the coaching staff looked at him and said he's not going to be able to compete we need to go get somebody that can play better in the SEC and I think that's a very very good thing I mean you just look at cornerback alone I mean you have Roger McCreary out there, Jalen Simpson, Nehemiah Pritchett, and then three very talented corners. And then, oh, don't forget, you have Drayshon Miller coming in from West right. Virginia as well. Like these, these are four guys that you could trust at the cornerback position more so than Marco Domio. So you like these guys better. Does it hurt not having a guy like Domio for a depth piece? Of course. Anytime you lose someone who can provide something in terms of depth, it's going to it's it's going to hurt a little bit. But I don't think this is one of those transfers that you look at and you just really you just really I don't know. It just there's no panic-inducing moment here, no. Because this is the this position group, the defensive backfield is the most loaded that Auburn has. It's their best unit, and it's their most. It's the one that they have the most talent at the position, and the most depth. So you you trust them a little bit. You you feel okay. You're like okay, it stinks, but I do understand when a guy like Marco Domio wants to leave. Right. And you know what that music means. That music means that we have wrapped up another episode of On the Line. A great show today, Lance. I had a great time with you. We will see you guys tomorrow. Stick around for the drive with Bill, Bill Cameron. You guys have a great day.